real quick congregational poll, just by show of hands, how many of you, when you greeted people this morning, greeted them with Merry Christmas? Now, come on, some of, some of you said Merry Christmas to me. Just raise your hand. We're not going to put you on the spot. There's another option coming. Okay, thank, thank you for being honest, Ella. I appreciate it. There's nothing wrong with that. How many of you, when you greeted people this morning, said Happy New Year? Okay. Uh, how many of you didn't greet anybody this morning? <laughs> okay, we have some honest people. Yeah, so this Sunday... This Sunday between Christmas and New Year's is always kind of an, like, what do we do with this? Do I tell people Merry Christmas? Do I, do I say Happy New Year? Do I, you know, just like rub my eyes and pretend like I'm too tired? What do I, what do I, yeah, okay, some of you are smiling and nodding. It's, it's kind of a weird thing when Christmas is over, but not really over. How many of you, uh, I mean, Christmas Day has come and gone, right? We're all on the same page. You all understand that, right? Christmas Day is, okay, we're just going to shake the dust out for a minute here, Okay. Um, how many of you, though, still have more Christmas celebrations coming? Okay, so I know some today. Okay, a few of you do. Yeah, my mother-in-law does. That's comforting because I thought we were celebrating Christmas with them tomorrow. So good to know that, that I wasn't uh, all wet there. Um, yeah, so Christmas is over, but Christmas isn't over for some of us. How many of you have found, I know I said one survey and I'm asking you all these questions. How many of you have found that Christmas goes by a lot faster the older you get? Am I the only one? Oh, getting a lot of hands there, even from some young folks. Yeah, great. I don't know. Everybody has a different definition of young, right? So uh, when I was a kid, it seemed like Christmas Eve, just that one, just that 24-hour, probably even more like a 12-hour block, seems like it took forever for Christmas to get here. Let's get through Christmas Eve and let's get to Christmas. And it was like, ah, it's taking so long. And, and now that I'm older than that, uh, it's like, time out. Where did Christmas go? Like this year, Christmas went by so fast that um, my wife and I forgot to give our kids a gift we got for them, for each of them. I know, parenting fail, right? So it's Christmas Day, we're not at home, and we go, oh, we forgot to give them that gift, uh, or give them those gifts, or however you want to say it. Like, okay, we'll do it when we get home, and we got home, and we forgot. So thankfully, we do have one more Christmas to go tomorrow, and uh, unless, unless that part goes by too quickly... We should probably wrap it, wrap them at some point. Yeah, so uh, so hopefully they'll get them tomorrow. Um, Christmas comes and goes so fast, and what do we do? I'd tell you what the gifts were, but I have two daughters, and they're they were kind of hoping I'd slip up and tell you what they were, but they're going to have to wait and be surprised. Um, it, it just goes by so fast, but um, but that doesn't mean that that the things that are associated with Christmas come and go. Quickly. We've been looking over the course of this Christmas season at this, this, uh, this truth, the way God described Christmas as God with us. And we've looked at, uh, we've looked at various stories and characters. And, and you, you may remember we started the series way back in the book of Isaiah with King Ahaz. And, and we saw that, that when I'm fearful, when I'm afraid, I can have confidence that God is, God is with me. God is with us. And that we move from Ahaz to Mary. And, and with Mary, we saw that when we're uncertain or when we feel agitated and we're just not sure what's happening around us, God with us. God is with us. And Pastor Joel helped us to look at the, the shepherds and to see that even when we feel lonely, when we feel like uh, outcasts, when we feel like no one is paying attention to us and we're just kind of on the fringes, God with us. 
And last week we looked at the birth of Jesus Christ and uh, from the book of Galatians, kind of a weird place to do a Christmas sermon from. Um, but we saw that God's plan had been from the beginning of time, that Jesus would be born to redeem us from sin so that the Holy Spirit could adopt us and make us children of God so that we could be heirs of God the Father. And because we're heirs, because we're children of God, we're no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer a slave to fear, to uncertainty, to loneliness because of the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be confident that God is with us. And so it's, it's nice to look at those kind of Christmas characters and, and talk about God with us, Emmanuel, and then, uh, and then sometimes it's too easy. Once Christmas is over and a new year is upon us, it's too easy to kind of set those things to the side. But what we want to do today is to remind ourselves that even when Christmas is over, God is still with us. So we're going to look at the, the story from Matthew of the, the Magi. If you want to find that in your text, if you brought a Bible, Matthew 2. If you didn't, probably around you somewhere, there's a pew Bible. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Um, we'll, I'll give you a minute to find that. While you're looking for it, let me just say that Matthew chapter 2 is the only scriptural account that we have of the Magi visiting Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And so there's been a lot that's, that's kind of grown up around this story that's not in the text. That's not to say it's right or wrong. There's, uh, there, there's reasons for every tradition, I suppose, that has grown up. Um, but there's only certain things that the text tells us for sure. So there's a few things it doesn't tell us. And it uh, doesn't mean it's wrong to think that. We don't know if there were three Wise men, we don't know what their names were. We don't know for sure where they came from. We're going to look at some of that. Um, but what we want to make sure that we do is look at what the text does say and plant ourselves firmly there, hold firmly to that, and, and kind of loosely to some of the other traditions that have grown up around it that may be accurate, that may be inaccurate. But as long as we're rooted in the text, we'll be all right. So Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to start reading uh, at the, the very top of the chapter there, verse 1. Uh, if you have a pen or pencil, have that out. There's a couple things I may want you to circle or underline. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So maybe in your text, that, what I just read, was in quotes, yeah? Or maybe it looked like, it wasn't like prose, it looked like maybe poetry. I, I don't know how your, your Bible lays it out, but this is prophetic language. Uh, what, the, what the chief priests and rulers of, uh, of the law just said is, yeah, they were quoting the Old Testament, and they were recasting it, or they were choosing to understand it 
as prophecy. Now, we believe they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They weren't just like throwing something at the dartboard and saying, yeah, that verse looks good. We'll say that that's what's going to happen. But this is kind of how prophetic language works. When it's first spoken, it applies to uh, an immediate context in the time that it was spoken. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, prophets and and teachers of the law and, and men look back and they say that truth was true for then, but there's a greater truth about it that's yet to be revealed. And so that's what, that's what happened here. They say um, there, there's this thing about Bethlehem, and, and uh, we believe that's a prophecy about the Messiah. They were right, by the way, because, again, the Holy Spirit inspired them to understand it that way. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time, circle those words, exact time, the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming, circle uh, these words, to the house, they saw, and then circled these two words, the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And that's the end of the, the uh, tightest part of the Magi story. But there's a few more verses that kind of tie up some loose ends. So let's keep reading at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Are those in quote marks in your Bible? Out of Egypt I have called my son? Yes? No? They are mine. (laughs) Okay, this again is prophetic language. When these words were first uttered, it was, uh, had to do with the, the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my firstborn son go so that he may worship me in the wilderness. And as people, as, as, uh, as prophets and, and, and teachers of God's word look back, the Holy Spirit stirs in them and they say, that was a prophecy, not only about then, but about a coming reality. Are you with me? Do you follow me on this prophecy thing? It's not just what's going to happen in the end times. Uh, There's like circles of of truth that the Holy Spirit reveals. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So here we have the, uh, the story of the Magi. And uh, today I want to suggest that they remind us that even after Christmas is over, God is still working, he's still with us, and he's still working to accomplish what he would. I want to look at three truths you, uh, you should have in your bulletin, a note insert. If you uh, like to fill in the blanks, you can pull that out and take other notes on it. And uh, we're going to look at three truths about the Magi that help us to remember, even when Christmas is over, God is still with us. First of all, number one, they didn't arrive until after Christmas. 
They didn't arrive until after Christmas. My guess is maybe for most of you, this isn't like an epiphany. You're not sitting there going, oh, this church preaches some kind of false truth. You've probably come to this realization before. But if not, or if you're a little rusty on on why we believe that to be the case, let me just take you through that. We've got three witnesses that suggest that they didn't come till after Christmas. The first one is the witness of uh, geography. And so Pastor Joel's not here. He's in Florida for a couple months, and I knew we're all going to miss him. So we're going to put a map up. He would be so proud. (laughs) Can't you just see him beaming ear to ear that Pastor Earl used a map? And look, I even got a laser pointer. How cool is that? And it works. Put batteries in it to make sure. Okay, sorry. That to the side. Um, there's, there's, we don't really know where the Magi came from. Just all, all the text says is they came from the east. They saw the star rise in the east, and they came from the east. And, and that could be a little confusing. We're not quite sure what that means for how that works. But there's two theories. I don't want to bore you to death. This isn't college class. But there's two theories on where the, the Magi came from. I'm going to tell them to you real quick. But this is what helps us know. Either theory really helps us know that they didn't, they didn't arrive there in time for a photo op with the shepherds. Um, the first theory is that they came from over here. You'll see it says the Hittite Empire. Modern day, does anybody know what that area modern day is? Yeah, it's what we eat for Thanksgiving. Um, no, I mean, yes, it's modern day Turkey. Um, so in Greek, uh, at, the, at the time, at the time that Jesus was born, it wasn't called Turkey. It was called Anatolia. Interestingly enough, Anatolia is the Greek word for, you guessed it, east. And so one theory is that maybe the Magi came from over here, maybe right here. I don't know if you could see it from where you're at, but it, it says Anatolia. Um, you know, that maybe the Magi came from somewhere in here and would have had to come all the way up around the Mediterranean Sea and, and down to Jerusalem down here. That's one theory. It's about a thousand miles, roughly, depending on where they came from. Uh, and then, of course, the route they would have had to take may make it a longer journey. Uh, the, the, the second major theory is that they came from um, somewhere over here in Babylon. Uh, there's, there's good reason to believe both theories. This one suggests that they were uh, part of a line or a class of people uh, that were called <laughs> Magi. Uh, they were priest, uh, Persian rather, Persian kingmakers. So a, a class of educated men who through the ages uh, were kind of the ones who vetted the kings of Persia. And, and you couldn't become a king of Persia until you had, you know, passed the, gotten the stamp of approval from the Magi. And, and, uh, and historians, scholars suspect that Daniel became part of that line when, when he was taken as slave to Babylon and, you know, became wise and, and learned, one of the most uh, educated or learned men in the, in the Babylon um, nation at the time. And so perhaps he was. But anyway, so perhaps they came from Babylon and uh, as the crow flies, I think it's about 800 miles to Jerusalem, but the route they would have had to take and given the roadway at the time, and Pastor Joel's taught us a lot about that, uh, probably would have doubled that to about 1,600 miles or so. So either way, uh, we have geography which strongly suggests that there's no way the Magi made it there in the Christmas holiday. I mean, they, they weren't there between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, they, it, it, it just wasn't feasible. If the star rose when the angel announced the birth of Jesus, there's no way they made it there while he was still a baby, while they were still uh, manger side. We also have the, the, the witness of history. 
Uh, Pastor Joel has talked a lot about the Roman roadway, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, it was a great series of highways, um, but it was rather limited. It, it, it was, there wasn't uh, multiple ways to make some of these journeys. And so whichever direction they would have come from, uh, they would have had to take um, several key Roman roadways, the King's Highway, the Via Maris, the Way of the Prophets. Uh, there's, there's different options, but um, history would just tell us that, that there's no way they could have made a long trip quickly. Not only that, but history demonstrates that there were these groups of traveling astrologers or magi. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't unusual for them to travel. Uh, men today and, and women today still take business trips, right? So maybe think of it like that, uh, except minus you know, cars and airplanes, and they would have done it all by foot. And when they traveled, they traveled in schools or in groups. History would suggest that um, uh, kind of a, a usual size for these groups of traveling magi or astrologers or wise men would be about 12. About 12 men would travel together and then each man would have his wife and his children, you know, his family. If they had servants, they would have traveled with them. And then add to that the animals that they would have brought along uh, for riding, for eating. Um, there are other sundries. And, and you could just kind of see this caravan of people which would have traveled by foot and certainly wouldn't have traveled quickly. So history would suggest to us that, that again, there's, it just wouldn't have been feasible for these guys to arrive much before, um, you know, a year and a half to two years. And then finally, and mo- this is really most important, the, the, the witness of the text. Now, b- before, we, before we march through a few verses here, and, and I help you to perhaps see some reasons why the text suggests that they didn't arrive on Christmas night, um, let me just, this is kind of cool. I don't know if you noticed it. Uh, we have right out here next to our welcome center a Christmas tree. Have you all seen the Christmas tree out there? Do you know what's at the foot of the Christmas tree? Shout it out if you know it. A manger scene. And who's at the, who's at the manger out here? Yeah, well, baby Jesus is in the manger. We thought we'd stick with that. Uh, and, standing, and standing over the manger, gazing at baby Jesus, are Mary and Joseph. Uh, there's no shepherds. There's, there's no one else there. That's just the way we chose to do it this year. Uh, and I don't know whose idea this was. It was, it was brilliant. Um, but across the lobby, if you stand at the manger and look across the lobby, you'll see a table with three wise men on it. I, 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 it. I don't know who did it. It wasn't my idea. I thought, but this is brilliant. Because when Jesus was in a manger, these guys were nowhere close to the manger. They were probably just starting their journey. And we have some clues in the text about that. Verse 1. What's the first word in verse 1? Say it loud. After. After Jesus was born, well, of course, he didn't come before he was born. To us, after could be like, you know, they were, you know, they were there while, while the doctors were still cleaning them up. But um, that's in the, in the Greek, it, it's, it's more, it conveys more of a, a long season of time. After Jesus was born, the Magi arrived. And we're just going to keep moving here. Verse 3, King Herod heard this. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Again, so this connects back to what we said, the witness of history. If this was three guys who showed up, probably the the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem, isn't going to be disturbed by three guys. But imagine a whole caravan, maybe 30 people from the east showing up, and all of a sudden you kind of get a feel like, hmm, 
yeah, that could cause some disruption. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now, if this is two days after Christmas, is that such a big deal? No, probably not. But if months or more than a year has passed, then it makes sense why Herod would say, give me a timeline. When, when did you first see the star? And how long did it take you to get this far? And, and, uh, and to spell out that timeline. Verse 16, uh, Herod's outwitted by the Magi. And, and when he realizes it, he, um, he has all the boys two years old and under in Bethlehem and its vicinity slaughtered in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so again, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? If, if he had learned that they had only seen it a week before, there'd be no need to kill two-year-olds. You could go like six months and, you know, in a, in a deranged psychopath mind and, and be okay. You wouldn't have to go two years. There'd be no reason to do that. But for some reason, he went with two years old and younger, telling us that they were there quite a bit after the birth. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. Now, this is significant. When, when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, why had they gone there? To pay taxes because the Roman emperor had, had called a census. And so everybody was to return to the hometown of their ancestors. For Joseph, that meant he had to go to Bethlehem. And so when Joseph and Mary arrive in Bethlehem, um, their journey had taken a little longer than they anticipated, perhaps, and they find Bethlehem kind of swelled to the gills with people who had come for the census. And so the text tells us there was no room for them. The Holiday Inn was booked. The Motel 6 was booked. Everything was booked solid. And so they ended up uh, in a cave or a stable. And that's where Jesus was born and spent his first night in a manger. Now, it makes sense that as time would go on, people would take care of their Holy Roman Empire business, and then they would start to filter back to their home. But Mary and Joseph apparently stayed in Bethlehem, and eventually they were able to move on up from the cave or the stable and find a house in Bethlehem, a place where they could stay, maybe with relatives, or maybe they rented a space. Uh, you know, maybe Airbnb had some openings we don't really know. But they stayed in Bethlehem in a house. And when the Magi arrived, they saw the child, right? I mean, you're catching this, right? No? Pastor Joel and I have taught before how the Greek language is a precise language. And a couple weeks ago, he used the example, they have like five words for love, where we have one word, you know, so each love describes a different thing. Same kind of thing happening here for, for human development. They have different words. And so when the angels appear to the shepherds and said, today in the city of David, a baby has been born to you, the angels use a word that talks about an infant, a newborn. But when Matthew says the Magi arrived at the house and they saw a child, he uses a word that has more to do with like that range between toddler and what we might call elementary aged. And so the text gives us a sense. It continues to reinforce that really the Magi weren't there on Christmas. And you're going, that's great, Pastor Earl. I'm not sure why that's part of the sermon. What in the world does that have to do with anything? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. I would suggest this reminds us that God's truth is always revealed on God's timetable. God's truth is always revealed 
on God's timetable. And I want you to think of these, these, uh, these magi for a minute. God's truth that the Messiah had been born was revealed long before they encountered the child and Mary and Joseph in a house in Bethlehem, right? I mean, the shepherds were there the night of the birth, right? Mary and Joseph knew before the baby was ever born. So God's truth had already been revealed to certain people, but not to the Magi yet. And so we, we have this sense that um, the truth can be a slippery thing, and sometimes we don't know that we don't have all the truth yet. And for the Magi, they knew that there was more truth coming, but they hadn't yet fully encountered it. But God had a plan. God had a time when that would happen. It's hard for all of us to know what we don't know. That's one of the hardest things in life to know. It's one thing to know that there's things I don't know. It's another thing to have no idea that there's things that we don't know. And yet the Magi remind us but that's okay. We don't have to know all the truth now. That there will come a time when God will loop us in and the truth that he wants us to know now is the truth that he's given us now and he's revealed to us now. And for some of us, me, maybe you, I don't know, but certainly for me, that's tough. It's tough to know that there's things that, that I don't know now. But as I thought about this, it brings me back to what Pastor Joel has shared with us about his life verse. You guys remember Pastor Joel's life verse? John 13, 7, Jesus says to the apostles, you don't know what I'm doing right now, but later you'll understand. The Magi remind us that God reveals his truth on his timetable for his purposes. Our goal is to be patient our role is to trust that what we have now is what God wants us to have. And then, and then our role is, as he reveals more truth to us, to respond to it in a way that glorifies him. First truth about the, the Magi is that they didn't, they didn't get there before Christmas was over. Secondly, they were fulfillment of prophecy. They were fulfillment of prophecy. Now, we've talked about this before. Everything about Jesus' birth was a fulfillment of prophecy from when it happened to where it happened to who was involved, including the Magi. And specifically, the Magi become an interesting point of prophecy. There's several prophecies that point to these guys. We're going to put some on the screen. Um, several from Isaiah. Isaiah wrote prolific, prolifically about the coming of the, the Magi. Um, although it may not have been clear to his original audience. So we've got Isaiah 49. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Kind of the same place that Simeon and his prophecy that we read early, they kind of draw from the same source in Isaiah and say, this is a prophecy. There's something happening here. Gentiles came because of a light. Uh, Isaiah has more to say about it. Isaiah 63, nations will come to your light and kings come to the brightness of your dawn. I mean, can we not read that and go, whoa, that's definitely the Magi. Or just a couple verses later, the wealth on the seas will be brought to you. The riches of the nations will come, in this case, in the forms of gold, Frankenstein, frankincense, 
and myrrh. Okay, these, these, uh, the arrival of the Magi was, was a, a fulfillment of prophecy. The greatest prophecy, though, probably comes from the book of Numbers. How many of you are familiar with the story of Balaam, by show of hands? Okay, you've heard of Balaam. He had a talking... Okay, good, you have heard of Balaam. He had a talking donkey. For those of you who are a little rusty on the story, real quick, there's a king named Balak. Uh, he's afraid of the nation of Israel. They're traveling through his land. He doesn't like him. He's heard about what God has done. You know, Jericho walls dropped. The Jordan River split. These guys used to be slaves in Egypt. And, you know, like that didn't go so well for Egypt. And so King Balak is like, no, 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 this isn't going to work. And so he says, I got to find some way to, to stop them. And so he decides he's going to hire a prophet. We might say a witch doctor or a soothsayer, but um, the text calls a prophet to put a curse over the nation of Israel. And so he hears about this prophet who um, is a little shady, you know, doesn't necessarily work for truth, but, you know, but works for uh, cold hard cash. And so Balak, King Balak calls Balaam and says, I want you to put a curse on Israel. Long story short, Balaam decides he's going to do it, takes his donkey. They head from Balaam's home to the place where they're going to go and, and uh, he's going to pronounce this curse. As they're traveling, an angel of the Lord appears in front of the donkey now, the donkey can see it, but Balaam has no clue that the angel is there. It's, you know, this, I, I mean, I don't know, this giant. All we know about the angels is he's holding a sword. But, I mean, you, you can imagine seeing an angel, right? Like, every human who sees an angel in the Bible falls down on their knees in terror. Balaam, or, uh, yeah, Balaam doesn't see it, his donkey does. So, um, his donkey, not wanting to die swerves out of the way, and this kind of ticks off Balak, so he beats the donkey, and, and the angel has mercy on the donkey and disappears so that the donkey can resume to its path. But a little bit later, a second time, the angel appears. This time, they're in like a narrow passageway, and there's rocks on both sides, and again, the, the donkey, fearing for its life, swerves. Balaam's riding the donkey, scrapes his foot on the, 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 the brick or the stone, and this, again, just, just upsets him. And so he starts beating his donkey again, and a second time, the angel has mercy and disappears, and so uh, the donkey continues. But there's one more encounter. This time, the, the passageway is so narrow that there's no side, no, no room to the right or the left of the angel holding the sword. And so the, the donkey only has one option, well, two options, die or just lay down. And so that's what the donkey does. It lays down with Balaam on it. And, uh, and so Balaam again starts beating it, just, just beating the living tar out of this, this donkey. And, and uh, God in his mercy to the animal and to Balaam looses the tongue of the donkey. It's like a Shrek moment. And the donkey says, what have I ever done to you that you're going to beat me these three times? And Balaam, not even realizing his donkey just spoke to him, has a conversation with the donkey. It says, what do you mean, what have you done? Three times now. You know, like scrape my foot and you laid down under me and got my leg caught and all that. And, and, and finally, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel, has this moment where he realizes apparently he's been talking to a donkey and realizes he's been called not by King Balak to cast a curse, but by the God of heaven to pronounce a blessing, to make a prophecy. And so this is from his prophecy. This is Numbers 24, 17. Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. And so everybody after this says that points to the Messiah. And in the Magi, we see the fulfillment or a fulfillment of this star coming out of 
the Lion of Judah. Okay, now, once again, what's this have to do with me? They're full of prophecy. That's really cool. It's nice to know that, but what's that have to do with me? I would suggest that this reminds to us that God will fulfill his word. Always, every time. We just might have to wait longer than we want to. God's going to fulfill his word. But we might have to wait. And so think about it. Balaam made this prophecy about magi coming, a, a star rising, and, and, uh, and then that was in Numbers, and so from, from Deuteronomy through Malachi, and then for 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, when there was no word from the Lord, the people waited, and they waited, and they waited. There's a Messiah coming. And they had to wait wait and wait and wait. God's word was eventually fulfilled, but not on their timetable. And again, this is hard for us because we have a sense, and, and some of you have shared, you, you, you feel like you have a word from the Lord that he's going to save your child, your adult child that's wandering from the truth. And, and you've expected it to happen for like the last decade and a half. And you're still holding on to that, 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 that word from the Lord that you believe you had, but it hasn't come to pass yet. It will. God's promises always do. But often, we have to wait. We have to be willing to say, God, you fulfill your word on your schedule. You do it in your way. Even if it makes me wait, even if it's not what I want, even if I don't understand it. This is the life of faith. This is hard stuff. But the Magi remind us, God will fulfill his word. Eventually. Eventually in his way. Number three, the third, the third truth I want us to know about the Magi is that we call them wise men. They were wise men because they were diligent seekers of truth. They were diligent seekers of truth. I mentioned earlier that some speculate that maybe the Magi came from Daniel. So the idea is that when Daniel came into captivity, he brought with him the prophecies that there was a coming universal king. And the Magi, this, this, this class of, of Persian kingmakers, they latched onto this. And from generation to generation, uh, it's a theory, they, they passed down this, this coming universal king. And they studied, and they studied the stars, and they studied the events, and they, they, you know, they, they read the newspaper, and they checked the internet. And they, and they were just watching constantly everything around them to see when this was going to happen. And uh, some think that in Daniel 9, when Daniel prophesies a timeline from the return to Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, that it's 483 years. And, and, and so let's say that's right. That means that for almost 500 years, this priestly class, these magi, passed from generation to generation this prophecy that this was going to happen. And they sought truth, and they watched world events, and they watched the stars, and they used every technology at their disposal to try to figure out when is this going to happen? When is this coming universal king going to arrive? When is the Messiah going to appear? And for 500 years, they did everything they could to understand it. And then the year arrives. 
and, and, and everything that they've studied that's been passed on to them for these magi, the Matthew 2 magi, like the, the stars all line up. Maybe not just metaphorically. And they set out to find truth. But I want you to notice that when they set out, they did not understand everything. They didn't understand everything. They had diligently sought for truth for generations. They knew a lot. But just to answer this question, where did they go when the star appeared? Where was the first place in the Holy Land that they showed their face? Jerusalem. Why? Why not Bethlehem? Jesus wasn't in Jerusalem. Well, there's a lot of reasons we could look at, but when it comes right down to it, because they hadn't yet connected all the dots. They were diligent seekers of truth for generations, but they didn't yet understand everything. They needed someone to fill in a few, a, a few of the blanks yet. They, uh, they knew that they need somebody to help them understand, and so they asked questions. And they talked to people. They went to those who could answer their questions until they found the whole truth. This is, this is wise. This is why they're wise men. Because they, they, they looked until they found the whole truth. And they had enough sense to know when they didn't have the whole truth. So when Herod says, you find him, come back to me. I want to go worship the baby. I mean, I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. I just have a hunch that the Magi were like, huh, that's interesting. Okay, so you've had a year and a half, but you haven't found this baby that you so desperately want to worship. Hmm. Okay. But, you know, they, they promised they would, and, and then the rest of the truth is revealed. And God says to them, don't go back that way. Herod's a stinking liar. He's only told you half-truths. He does want to see the baby, but it's not to worship him. And so they go... They go home another way. And can you imagine partway on their way home? I don't know, a month, a year, they, uh, they, they catch wind that Herod had ordered all the boys two years younger slaughtered. Jesus escaped. You think the Magi are going, you know, if we'd have just gone back to Herod, if we'd have just told him we found the baby Jesus, we could have spared the lives of who knows how many boys. And yet they were willing to submit themselves to God's truth. They were willing to do things the way that God asked them to do it. They didn't want just one side of the story. They were willing to listen to the whole truth and then to respond accordingly. I don't know if you're following this or not, and, and maybe you're not. Maybe this part of the sermon is for me and not for you. This has been one of the hardest parts of this story for me to come to terms with. And one of the hardest parts of this sermon to present. My personality type wants to know all the answers now. I want to know what's happening now. And just this week, I had a conversation with a board member. And, uh, and, a, and a board member said to me, Earl, this is one of the hardest things for leaders with your personality type. You're not going to know everything that's happening, and that's okay. You don't have to know everything. No one's trying to be secretive. But you don't have to know everything. And maybe if you did know it, it would get in the way of something God's trying to accomplish. 
And when, when this board member said this to me, like the hair on, hair on the back of my neck stood up, well, if I had it, it would have stood up. And I went, I mean, I, I'd say it, but I'm thinking to myself, you shut your face, you are so wrong. And yet inside of me, the Holy Spirit said, no, he's right. And I was in the middle of my, my sermon study when that conversation, you know, interrupted me. And I went back and I continued to study. And I went, that's exactly what happened with the Magi. If they had understood everything, if they'd gone right to Bethlehem, or if they'd had gone back and told Herod where the baby was, knowing that God could save the baby, but it would spare a bunch of others, they would have changed God's plan. God would have had to figure out a different way to do it. It would have interrupted what God was up to. Sorry, maybe that's just for me. Maybe you're not listening. I mean, maybe, maybe you don't need to hear that part. It's like the Holy Spirit said to me, you don't need to know all the plans. You don't need to know all the details. You need to know me. And if you'll trust me, Earl, if you'll trust that I know what I'm doing, that I do know everything, we're going to be just fine. And maybe that's what the Holy Spirit would say to you today. You can judge that. You can weigh that. You can figure that out. Let me just wrap up with a couple questions here and then we'll pray. Am I willing to trust the one who does know and understand everything even when I don't? Not just trust theoretically, but trust by like doing what he asks me to do. And am I willing to diligently seek the whole truth or do I take the easy way out? Am I willing to diligently seek the whole truth or do I take the easy way out? Do I ask for help when I need understanding? Imagine I did. Do I, do I examine my own preconceived notions? You know, they, they kind of had to do that and stop and ask Herod for help. And am I willing to listen to all sides of a matter? Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, any story sounds true. <clears throat> I want to worship the baby. Any story sounds true until someone tells the other side and sets the record straight. He doesn't want to worship the baby. Don't go back. Am I willing to reserve action till I've diligently sought out the whole truth? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will be found, this is God speaking, you will find me. I can be found by you if you'll seek me with your whole heart. And so today I would encourage us to remember that just because Christmas is over doesn't mean the truths of Christmas are done. God is still with us, and if we will diligently seek out his truth, if we'll be wise like the Magi will, God will continue to reveal himself to us, and as he does that, he'll guide us through whatever we're facing. Would you bow and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the truth of the Magi. We thank you that they were diligent seekers of truth, and Lord, I pray that you would make us the same. For those of us who have received the truth of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've confessed our need and we're following him. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to make good on your promises in due time, in your time. Pray that you'd help us to be faithful and patient until then. Lord, for for those here who perhaps haven't fully put their trust in Jesus Christ, or or maybe they did at one point, but if they were to be honest, they've wandered from the truth, and, and, uh, and, and they're not even sure if they should call themselves a Christian anymore. Lord, I pray that they would diligently seek out the truth of your word, that they would find that you're reliable, that you're trustworthy, that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding in love and mercy and forgiveness. 
and that you long to welcome them back into your family. Father, we thank you for the Magi and the reminder that those who seek you will find you and they seek you and your truth with all of their heart. Amen.